You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. I'm really glad to be here. I'm not completely in my right mind today because the Oklahoma Sooners lost yesterday. (laughs) And I live in Austin, Texas, so you have no idea the hell that I go through (laughs) on a regular basis. But But I did read a scripture this morning, Psalm 30, verse 11. The Bible says that he will turn our mourning into dancing. So there it is. All the dance I got. <laughs> uh, I, I really am privileged to be here. My name is Brandon. I am the uh, son of John and Ann Holler, the husband of Jennifer Holler, the dad of Morgan, Coy, Naomi, and Macy. You know, the more you live, your personal title just gets further down the list. You just, you, you're described by more by who you know rather than who you actually are. And um, but I, I am really privileged to be here, especially on this day when you're, you're honoring uh, your pastors. And so just on a personal note, I, I would just like to say that, that as their son, thank you for loving them. Thank you for honoring them the way that you do. It means a lot to me as their son to know that they're in a place that people care about them. And so I thank you for that. Thank you for the respect that you show and the honor that you show and the honor that you've shown them today. I know you know this. I know you know this, and if you'll just allow me just a minute as their son to brag on them just a little bit, but um, what, what you may not know, I think you do know, but um, I think we're all privileged to have John and Ann Holler in our lives. Yeah, you can clap, that's all right. I, I feel very fortunate as their son, but it always makes, makes me feel more important when I, when I have the opportunity, which God has graciously granted me an opportunity to be around some very influential voices in the body of Christ. And, and like Pastor Charles Neiman that, that Parrish mentioned a moment ago, Pastor Charles pastors in El Paso, Texas, a church of 25,000 people and he travels all over the world and and when he talks about John Holler he says you know your dad's a legend in the state of Texas right (laughs) and and I just think well yeah I knew that (laughs) of course I knew that Um, but but he 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 is held in very high regards uh, around the world and not very many places have I been that people don't know who John Holler is. And all of them say his and Miss Ann's name with such honor and respect. And uh, so I, I just believe we're all privileged. And I, I, was in, I was in the nation of Mozambique, Africa, and was sitting under a tent having coffee one morning, and a young lady there who was from Romania, but serving in Mozambique, was serving the coffee and everybody was introducing themselves and I said, my name is Brandon Holler. And she stopped and she said, do you know John Holler? <laughs> I just think, man, I can't get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
So I, I thought, I'm in Mozambique, Africa. Nobody knows me. And then all of a sudden, they did. And then I got nervous. I thought, man, I better behave. <laughs> but uh, it, it really is, like I say, it's, it's an honor to, to be their son. And just, I, you know, I, I don't know a lot of families. I know a lot of preachers, but I don't know a lot of preachers that have families like, like John and Ann have raised. And, and I don't say that to be braggadocious today about me. It's really about them. And um, uh, they, uh, they, they believed in raising us in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, which required a big stick. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. 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 I know that's not politically correct, but to political correctness. <clears throat> it just seems like such a novel idea that we read a scripture that says, children, obey your parents. And parents are like, really? <laughs> yeah, that's the, kind of the idea. <laughs> They're supposed to obey. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm blessed to be here. But uh, in the time that we have, why don't we preach a sermon, huh? Let me, let me share a thought with you, actually, first. I shared this with, with our, our team yesterday as we were planning and preparing for, for the five conferences coming up November 5th and 6th. We're really excited about that. And in our, in our planning meeting yesterday, I was reminded of a scripture that's found in Acts chapter 16. And it's the story of Paul. Paul is trying to go spread the gospel in other places of the world, and every time he tries to go somewhere, the Holy Spirit forbids him. And so he turns another direction, the Holy Spirit forbids him. And he turns another direction, the Holy Spirit forbids him. And he turns another direction, the Holy Spirit forbids him. So Paul, being the, the, the awesome genius that he was, decided, I'm not moving until I get word. <laughs> and so he just stopped. And then he had a dream. And in that dream, he saw a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and preach the gospel to us. And, and now he is with a group of men that are not shabby men in their own right. They are top elite kind of men of society. One was a doctor by the name of Luke. He had leaders like Timothy and Silas and other great men that were with him that had their own opinions and their own minds, their own brains. They could have chosen their own way. Amen. But here's what Luke says that I think is astounding. And it shows how believers should follow leaders. And so I know you're following Pastor John and Pastor Ann here, um, but I just want to remind you of this. It says, again, Luke writing in verse 10 of Acts 16, it says, Now when Paul had seen the vision, who saw the vision? Luke, said, Luke didn't say he saw the vision. He didn't say that Silas saw the vision. He didn't say that Timothy saw the vision. He said Paul saw the vision. One guy saw the vision. He says, now, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us wow. to preach the gospel to them. Isn't that beautiful? One person saw the vision. You've got visionaries here who see the vision. And in order for it to get accomplished in the manner that it needs to be accomplished, the collective needs to say, when they see the vision, we conclude God called us. Amen. Our response is that we're in this. Yes. And the fact that you're doing what you're doing today is proof that you know you're in it. You're honoring them and believing in the gift and the calling of God upon their life and saying, we're with you. Amen. We're with you. We support that. We're with you. 
Amen. It doesn't mean you can't have an independent mind. But when, at the end of the day, when we're trying to move the church of God forward, we believe in our leadership and we go that way. Amen. All right, that's enough preaching about that. Let's get into some other things. Because I only got one good amen from Paris, so I'm guessing I'm stepping on somebody's toes. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to get kind of personal here because I, I'm a pastor and I, I don't say these things at my own church, so I'm going to take a liberty here. <laughs> it's not the responsibility of the congregation to keep the pastor's vision balanced. It's up to the congregation to sell out to the vision that God gives the pastor. Okay, I know that's strong, but I hope you still love me. All right. Numbers chapter 13. You got a Bible this morning? Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, I'm going to start in verse uh, 27. You guys are probably familiar with this story. Moses has sent in 12 spies into the promised land to try to find out what it's like. He sent them in to, to discover if everything they had heard was true if everything that God had promised them was really there. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? You think God's called you to do something, and you, think it's, you know it's right there, but rather than go and take it, we want to first just spy it out and see if it's actually real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They sent these spies in to try to figure out if it was actually like God said it was. And so they go in, and then they've come back. And here's, here's what happens when they come back. Verse 27, Numbers chapter 13. It says, Then they told Moses... And said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They had some fruit with them. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And I want to stop right there. Have you ever found in your life that where you are presently is point A, and you're trying to get to point C? Point C, we know, is the place that we desire to be. It's the place where the, the promised land is, of the call and the vision that we have in our heart, whether it be for ministry, whether it be for business, whether it be for just your family, or what you, you, see, you see a vision and you see, I can have that and that can be mine and I look forward to that day. But you're at A, but there's a step in between A and C. Now, I am from Oklahoma, but I do know my alphabet. <laughs> and what I, what I have found is the step between A and C is B. <laughs> and I have found, as I'm sure some of you have, I got to B, and B didn't at all make sense. B has nothing about it that looks like it's going to get me to C. B is a mess. B is a shocker. You get there and it doesn't make sense. And I have seen, sad to say, I've seen far too many times people get to B and it doesn't look like they think it's supposed to look like. There's nothing that will work on your head like thinking something's supposed to look a certain way and then getting there and realizing it doesn't look like that. 
and they get to B and it doesn't look like they think it's supposed to look like. It's not the logical step to get them to C. And so they turn their back and go back to A. And they forfeit C simply because B doesn't look right. And the children of Israel, they get to the promised land. They're there. And it doesn't look like they thought it was going to look. There's the fruits there. It flows with milk and honey. But something was wrong. And they said, there are giants here. They said, Lord, Lord, we're here. We've, we've arrived. You ever done that to the Lord like he doesn't know? <laughs> God, I'm here. I'm here. I, I've arrived. But God, there's, there's giants here. There are giants here. And God says, looking over the balcony of heaven, what? <laughs> giants, you say? I, I had no idea. I, I, I just popped out for milk. Did somebody leave the gate open? I had it all groomed. I had it all perfect. I had it perfectly ready for you. I had it polished and shined. Giants. Just in case you think my theology is wrong. No, that's not what God did. God wasn't shocked by the giants. God knew all along the giants were there. But I wonder if they felt like we do many times when we arrive at what we think is our destination and we arrive there, and it looks like somebody else has taken it. And the thought that comes to our mind is this. We're too late. We've got here too late. You know, the, the finance giant is a big one. The, the fear giant is a big one. The finance giant... Is a, is, is a big one, and, 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 and the, the, the fear giant and, and the, the hopelessness giant is a big one. But the time giant, it's like no other giant. The Bible says multiple times from the Old Testament to the New Testament, don't give up. The vision will come. Don't draw back. Don't quit. Don't walk away from it. It's going to come. The Bible even says in Galatians, sow the seed and don't grow weary, for in due season you'll reap if you just won't faint. But the devil would love nothing more than to get us to stop fighting. And the way he gets us to stop fighting is to convince us that something is wrong. And we get into B, and B's a mess. And we think there's something wrong. There's nothing wrong. It's just a giant. Yeah. Nothing's wrong. Right. It's wow. just a giant. Wow. That's right. if, you, if you convince yourself that something's wrong, you'll stop fighting. God doesn't want you to stop fighting. He wants you to see it for what it is. And sometimes we'll get into this mode of, well, I know what's wrong. 
I know what's wrong. I know why this is going on. The Lord told me to give $100 two years ago, and I didn't do it. And now I'm here, and now my finances are all I do. <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong. It's just a giant. Nothing's wrong. And Caleb is saying that. Yeah. Guys, there's nothing wrong. Yeah. We can beat these guys. It's just a giant. There's nothing wrong. And the Bible says that the people wanted to stone him for saying it. You ever been there? You ever been there? We have. I won't ask for a show of hands, but we've been there when we know that all hell is broken loose in our life and everything is wrong and someone comes along and goes, oh, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Come here, hold this for me. Tell me it's okay. You don't know what my B looks like. Now, B don't stand for anything. It's just a letter. But you don't know what my B looks like. How can you tell me? How can you tell me that nothing's wrong? You don't know what I'm going through. But I'm here to tell you guys, nothing's wrong. Amen. Nothing's wrong. Stop calling your B wrong. It's not wrong. It's just a giant. Now, what do we do? Well, we have to change our perspective about the situation. See, bad perspective can put you in some awkward situations and some bad situations. My, uh, my nephew and I, I mentioned earlier when I was in Mozambique, I, I went with my nephew, my wife's nephew, his name's Paul. And Paul's a photographer, and Paul was with me on this trip. And Mozambique had, over the years, just been obliterated by civil war. You know, you think about Africa, and you think about the lions and the rhinoceros and the hippopotamus and the giraffes. None of those exist in Mozambique because they ate them all. The people were starving to death. There's nothing like you would think of Africa. There's none of the wildlife. It's all gone. The whole nation has been decimated. Buildings just sit in ruin. They're everywhere. They're, they're, it's the, the poverty that's in that nation right now is, is just off the charts poverty. Right now, 85% of their, of their government income this, the income that supports their government, 85% is foreign aid. Wow. They have not the ability to sustain themselves. So we're in this place walking around and we see this wall that has huge holes in it from where like cannon fire has gone through and they're holes like this big. And I said, Paul, take a picture of that wall. So he took a picture and we're looking at it on the camera and you couldn't tell they were that big because there was nothing to compare the hole to. You just see a wall with a hole, it could have been this big, or it could have been this big. You, you can't, can't tell. So I told Paul, I said, Paul, go over, give me the camera, you go over and put your hand next to the hole so we can tell how big the hole is. And so Paul goes over and he puts his hand on the wall like this, and I'm over here and I snap a picture so that you can see how big the hole is in comparison to his hand. Well, before we left, the, the uh, missionary asked us if he could have our pictures that we took, like a copy of our pictures so that he could see what we saw, you know, what we picked up. And so we downloaded all the pictures onto his computer. The next month we were home from Mozambique. The next month we get a newsletter from that organization. And on the cover of their newsletter is Paul with his hand on the wall. And the caption below it says, visitor prays for our wall. I just looked at Paul, I'm like, mm -hmm. Now, there was no intention to mislead or to tell a non-truth. But it was bad perspective. And if you don't have the proper perspective, you'll say things and do things that are not complementary to truth. 
You have to have the right perspective. Ten of these guys had the perspective that they were trespassing on the giant's land. But Caleb had the perspective that the giants were trespassing on his land. Glory to God. Glory to God. And the Bible said he had in him a different spirit. That spirit that could see things unlike anybody else could see. Everybody else is saying, trouble, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. Caleb's saying, there's nothing wrong, it's just a giant. They look at it and they say, we look like grasshoppers to them and to ourselves. They saw the giants and they saw grasshoppers. Caleb saw the giants and he said, they are bread to us. Ten of them saw giants and saw grasshoppers. Caleb saw a giant and saw lunch. <laughs> and can you imagine him coming back saying, they're bread to us. They say there were roughly three million people in that nation at the time. And the first two million here were like, what? Bread? Bread to us. And the, the million that are in the back are going, that's right, Caleb, they're dead to us. <laughs> first two million are like, no, 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 he, he said bread. Why would he say bread? That doesn't even make sense. No, he didn't say bread. They're dead to us, Caleb, they're dead to us. No, he said bread. He said bread. You know the interesting thing about bread is that you can eat bread without teeth. It's, bread is one of the easiest things in the world to eat. He didn't say they're a steak to us. He said it's bread. The easiest, simplest thing that you could eat and devour, he said, that's what they are. To us, they're bread. The bread to us. Bread to us. Jesus goes into the wilderness. The Bible says he was filled with the Spirit and led into the wilderness. And he goes there and he faces the devil. And the devil is tempting him. And the devil says, <clears throat> if you are... I love how... I don't love the devil, but I love how... I love how... Clearly, the Bible reveals to us his ways. He says, if you are, then shouldn't you be this or shouldn't you do this? If you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Now, I'm telling you, after you fasted for 40 days, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, wait a minute. I am the son of God. You're right. I am the son of God. Ham and cheese. <laughs> But Jesus, Jesus wouldn't even engage in his reasoning. He wouldn't, he acted like what the devil said was completely irrelevant. The devil says, if you are, then you should do this. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He quoted scripture to him. See, that's what the devil does. The devil comes to you and says, if you are blessed, then shouldn't you be more prosperous than you are? If you are, then shouldn't this be happening? If you are a Christian, shouldn't you have already beat that thing that's been in your family for years and years, that cycle that you keep dealing with over? If you are really growing in the Lord, shouldn't you be? Because he wants you to engage in that argument with him. 
But you have to rise up like Jesus did and quote the word to him. You may say that I should be this, but I need you to understand it's not about what I should be. It's what I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. All things work together for my good because God said so. And nothing can stand against me because God is for me. That's right. And you have to quote the word. Don't engage in the reasoning because you engage in the reasoning. You start down a path to believe that something's wrong. But too many times Christians are more like this. They, they don't have a sword. They have a little dagger. <laughs> All things work together for good. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> when the Bible says that we have a sword. And your moment, your situation, the thing that you're facing that is not wrong, but it's just a giant, that thing requires you to pick up your sword and take the head off of that giant. It's just a giant. It dies like everything else dies. As a matter of fact, you know the saying, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. The louder the noise, the clearer the victory, the more obvious it is when that giant falls. Nothing's wrong. It's just a giant. I feel like what I'm about to say, maybe for someone specifically, or maybe for several somebodies. But Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. God speaking. It says, I know the plans that I have. And those plans are to prosper you. Listen to me. He knows the plan. The plan is still to prosper you. It's still to prosper. Can you believe after all you've been through that you're still here? Because his plan is still to prosper you. He hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't backed away. He hasn't come up with a different plan for you. He hasn't come up with plan B for you. So what that means for you today is no matter how many times you messed up, how many times you blew it, how many times you failed, no time has been wasted because God still has a plan. And that plan is still, it's still to prosper you. He hasn't backed down on that. God hasn't changed his mind. You can look at yourself and say, well, I guess I blew it times up. I, I, I can't do it anymore. I guess I'm never going to have that dream in my heart. No, his plan is still to prosper you. His plan is still to prosper you. His plan is still to prosper you. He hadn't changed his mind. I know, I know we've fought some fights and we've lost some fights. But something that I have discovered is that God's work in me has not been as much about keeping me from failing as it has been about keeping me from quitting. And God doesn't want you to quit. You may look at things and say, I failed at that, I failed at that. Okay, don't quit. His plan is still to prosper you. His plan is still to prosper you, to pick you up, to get you forward. Your mistakes are not greater than God's plan to prosper you. 
He wants to prosper your mind. He wants to prosper your finances. He wants to prosper your family. He wants to prosper your future. That's what that scripture actually ends with. His plan is to prosper you so that you can have a future and so that you can have a hope. So that you can have a hope in the future. You can have a hope in tomorrow. You can believe that tomorrow's going to be a better day. That's what the word hope means. It means a positive expectation of good. A positive expectation. God still wants you to have a positive expectation of good. So he says, I want you to keep that positive expectation of good. And the way you're going to keep it is to know that my plans are to prosper you. I have no other plans. I don't have plans to destroy you. I don't have plans to punish you. I don't have plans to judge you. I have plans to prosper you. And my plan has not changed. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm still me. Your, your actions do not dictate me changing. Your actions affect you, but they do not affect me because I still have a plan. I'm God. I'm above your ways. My thoughts are above your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. I still have a plan. And that plan is to prosper you. Amen. Nothing is wrong. It's just a giant. Kill it. And throw it off of your land. That's right. That depression that is darkening your emotions, yeah. you cut that giant's head off and throw him off of your territory. That's right. Amen. 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 That sadness and that sorrow that brings the darkness to your heart, you cut the head off of that thing and say, get off the territory of my heart. God's plan is to prosper me. And Hebrews chapter 10 says, hold fast to your profession of hope. Because he who promised is faithful. faithful. See, you holding on to that expectation of good is not about you. It is solely about him. You keep saying things are going to be okay. You keep declaring it's going to be all right. You keep saying out of your mouth, nothing's wrong. God is faithful to bring his promise to pass. And our confession is based on God's faithfulness, not on ours. It's based on his ability to bring it to pass, not our ability to bring it to pass. So we keep saying, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Everything's going to turn around for good. It's going to get, it's, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. I, 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 my desire today is just to give you the best news that I think you could ever get. You're okay. And it's going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. It's going to turn around. It's going to turn around. The things are going to turn around. The circumstance is going to turn around. It's going to turn around. Because God is for you. And he's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to them. It's going to be okay. In the book of Zechariah, it says, Return to the stronghold. Referring to God. Return to God. You prisoners of hope. You see, there's all kinds of things that you could be imprisoned to today. You could be imprisoned to fear. You could be imprisoned to worry. You could be in, in, in prison of anxiety, stress. But God says there is a prison that you actually do belong in. And it's the prison of hope. But it takes a commitment on your part and courage on your part to walk into that prison cell and close the door and throw away the key. Say, it doesn't matter what comes at me. I have a positive expectation of good. Amen. And I'm not changing that because God's not changing. 
God is not changing his plans, so I'm not changing my expectation. His plans are to prosper me, so I expect prosperity in my future. I expect that things are going to turn around for my good because God's plan is to prosper me. And I'm not changing my confession based on my circumstance. I'm not changing based on what I see. I'll no longer recognize or believe that that enemy that's come into my life is somehow, somehow I'm trespassing on its territory. Today, I believe it's trespassing on mine, and I'll throw it out. I'll throw it off my property. Today, it's done. Today, it's over. No more. No more. Your family depends on it. Your future depends on it. The next generation depends on it. Depend on us today saying, I'm going to be a prisoner of hope. Nothing's wrong. Come on, turn to your neighbor and just say that. Look at him right in the eyes and say, nothing's wrong. Turn to your other neighbor and say, nothing's wrong. It's just a giant. Come on, tell him, it's just a giant. It's just a giant. It's just a giant. It's lunch. It's just bread. It's bread to us. It's bread. It's bread. It's just bread. We got any Hispanics in here? You are that segregated, are you? No, I'm just kidding. You're not in Austin. Pan dulce, they say. It's bread. Pan, sweet bread. Pan dulce, they're sweet bread. Yeah. <laughs> I said this funny thought, let me just say it. <laughs> Eat up. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to give your energy to something. You might as well give it to victory rather than worry. You're going to put energy into something. You might as well put it into, into fighting rather than cowering. Nothing's wrong. It's just a giant. Stand to your feet, would you please? One thing I didn't finish that I just want to say about Jesus in the wilderness. About Jesus in the wilderness. It says that he went into the wilderness filled with the Spirit. And he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. <laughs> you see, when you use your faith, you just get stronger. And the Holy Spirit is something wonderful on the inside. But he is really something spectacular on the outside. And when you overcome, you become a voice of that. And when you speak that, the Holy Spirit comes to the outside to minister to somebody else. And to help them. To change them and to transform them. Amen. Would you bow your heads, please? I, I, know, I know very few people here. I am, I am so more than honored that, that my grandma is here today. It just means so much to me, Grandma. I know you didn't come just to see me. I know you came to see your daughter, too, but it means a lot to me that you're here. And I love you. Sandy and Ronnie. Jim, I'm so, so glad. Stacy, I'm so glad you guys are here. It means, it really does mean a lot to me. Outside of them, I don't know very many people here. But I do know how the devil works. And I know that he, he torments 
and he tricks and he deceives and he's working on us nonstop because his desire is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he will not be satisfied until he has stolen, until he has killed, and until he has destroyed. But we have a wonderful promise from Jesus that says that he came, that we might have life, and that we may have more abundantly. God is on your side so he can turn that work of the devil. He can turn that. He can turn it. That thing that the devil's trying to, trying to bring for your destruction, God can turn it for your victory. But he does need you to participate. And he needs you to put his word in your mouth and say it out of your mouth. I don't know what events have caused you. And my heart just... My heart breaks because I know that there are some of you in here that you've experienced some tough things, and I don't know what it has been that has made you lay your sword down. But I'm telling you today, pick it back up. Pick it back up. I look over my life. I look over my life, and I have friends that I don't see anymore because they got into B, and it didn't look right. And they walked away from God, walked away from church, walked away. So I plead with you today. I implore you today as the Apostle Paul did. I implore you today, pick up your sword and declare the word of God out of your mouth. Find the scriptures that are necessary for your fight. I got a real simple one that worked for every fight. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I even have something simpler than that. You ready? Maybe this will surprise you, maybe it won't, but I've got something really simple that will bring victory in every situation. It's one word. Jesus! One word. One word. You say that one name, all power, all authority, all resources that are attached to, the name, to that name come flooding into your circumstance. Come rushing in to deliver. Come rushing in to save. Come rushing in to prosper. Come rushing in to bring victory to you. Nothing's wrong! Father, I thank you for each person that's here today. I thank you, Lord, for your amazing hand of protection and provision over us. Lord, I don't know what each person is going through. I don't know what circumstances have led them to where they are today, whether good or bad. But Lord, I do know this, that whether good or bad, you are able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Lord, today we recognize that the circumstance that we're in doesn't necessarily mean that something's wrong. But today we recognize that there's a giant, there's a giant trespassing on our territory. And today we call him by name, whatever he is, call him by name. We call fear by name and we tell you, get off of our land. Poverty, get off of our land. Get off of our land. Sickness and disease, get off of our land. Worry, anxiety, stress, depression, get off of my land. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that you have a great plan and a great future for each one of us.
You have a great future filled with good things. Lord, I know that you're leading us to a land that truly does flow with milk and honey, and great is the fruit of that place. So Lord, we look forward with expectation and with hope, and we declare everything's all right, everything's gonna be okay, nothing's wrong, it's just a giant. Lord, we look forward to eating that bread. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you give the Lord a good hand clap for his word?